0: I think I would probably tell her that it's hard, but it has to be that way. And I would tell her that everything that you really want and that you're really looking for is through, not around, but through those hard doors.
1: The Giant. Thinker. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm Ram Castillo and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives and giant thinkers. G'day Giants, Ram Castillo here. It's a pleasure to have your company on episode number 42 our guest is a formally trained designer who previously worked at IDEO and with startups including Mailbox, Medium, and Uber. Then a few years ago, she made a brave pivot and transitioned into spending more time painting, writing, and creating. She is the author of a book many of you may have or have heard of titled The Crossroads of Should and Must. Side note here, I suggest you watch one of the many talks available online, Uh, She's done one in particular that I recommend titled The Importance of Doing What You Love. It's on Vimeo.com. Do a search and it'll pop up. I highly, highly recommend it. She also runs a textile venture, The Bulan Project, a collaboration between designers and master batik artists in Bali. Some of the topics we spoke about include the job versus the career versus the calling, her winding road of transition even being denied admission from every law school she applied for, how to protect your passion, the importance of play, and techniques to interpret our own dreams. There's also a few photos of a particular book that our guest had on her shelf called Medicine Cards, and we chatted about it off-air, and it has to do with a section on Mountain Lions. This won't make much sense now, but after you listen to this interview, head to giantthinkers.com, find the blog post of this episode, and you'll be able to read it there. This all relates to me revealing a dream that I had that involves a lot of lions and a Japanese samurai camp. I'll leave it at that. And while you're on giantthinkers.com, if you haven't already, I invite you to sign up to the mailing list where you get occasional emails from me on new episodes articles I've written, and upcoming events. Now, if email isn't your thing, add me on Instagram or Snapchat. My handle is the Thinker, and it's the fastest way to reach me and see my day-to-day activities. Alrighty, let's dive straight in. I present to you the deeply captivating, thoughtful, and tranquil L. Luna. Elle Luna, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. Although it's 6.30 a.m. here in Sydney, uh, I'm almost jumping off my seat in excitement for being able to chat with you finally.
0: Wow, what an introduction. <laughs> Hi, it's so great to be here. There,
1: there, there are so many people um, attached to that uh, excitement of mine as well, a lot of the listeners. Uh, hmm. So first off, Elle, I have an icebreaker question for you. What's a hidden talent that you have uh that most people don't know about
0: a hidden talent- wow, we're just gonna go right there yeah <laughs> a hidden talent okay, well, this is a really hidden talent. I have the incredible ability to fall asleep anywhere
1: oh man, I had that as a question down the track, I was just going to say, how easily do you fall asleep?
0: Seriously?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> I. <laughs> um, are you an easy sleeper?
0: I feel like saying out loud that sentence is a little bit like for friends of mine who have kids who are like easy to put down for bed. It's one of those things that you, you know, really would be wise to never say out loud. Because I have so many friends who struggle with falling asleep, you know, even in just like their bed, much less. I mean, I could fall asleep on a train sitting up. I could fall asleep in a middle seat on a transatlantic flight before it takes off, landing literally as it's touching down on the other side of the ocean. I just I just can conk out. It's and and I I didn't realize this was such a superpower until I got older. (laughs) But yes, that's that would be my hidden talent.
1: And so were you always like that or was it um, when you kind of transitioned out of design into being an artist and a writer more so now, did that, do you think that added to that super superpower, <laughs> super talent or, or were you always like that?
0: Well, stress definitely has an immediate impact on sleep mm. and if i'm if I'm chewing on something, and of course i we'll talk about this more, but there's there's like positive stress eustress, stress, and then there's negative stress um even positive stress can affect my sleep like right now, I have a lot of positive stress going on, and my sleep is totally whacked out. but I would say my ability to sleep anywhere has been a, a lifelong thing
1: Oh, love it um.
0: I've always just been a good sleeper. Yeah.
1: Okay. So for the listeners, where would you say your expertise lies?
0: I would say my expertise lies in the heart. Mm, Love it. I would say it, um, I would say, so I, I think of myself as a storyteller um I I even as I say that out loud there's sort of this question mark you know the a storyteller um I think uh I'm trained classically as a graphic designer I I came out of print design uh like right as the internet was beginning to happen there still wasn't a lot of digital work happening when I was in grad school um so I'm trained classically in print design um and then I also have a um background in painting and, um, I'm also a writer. So, but I, I guess kind of my, my training is between writing, painting and design. And those three things, um, when they come together, uh, when I can, you know, sort of channel that energy, that very soulful energy, um, has the power of, of creating stories, objects, uh, products whatever it might be um even maybe just the way a day unfolds uh that's a, a sort of a combinatory hybrid of all of those practices
1: now i'm deeply fascinated by your journey as most people are uh whether they've run into uh your talks online or um your book um the crossroads of should and must can you tell us a bit about your childhood and how you grew up?
0: Yes, I was born in Dallas, Texas, and I grew up um my mom's from Michigan and my dad's from Texas, and I come from a long line of very talented lawyers. And so growing up, I was um really a, a you know, wildly creative kid, like so many probably of the folks listening, there's something about our childhood that holds so many of the impulses and just, you know, inexplicable choices that we made about how we chose to spend our time. For me, I was like very, a very tactile child, always like my hands always were into projects, doing things is is very, um, bodily, you know, out and about in the backyard or, um, physically playing or making things. Um, and I, so I, I've, been making work my whole life. But I think because I saw the incredible talent of my, my father and my grandfather and, you know, all of these incredible lawyers, I think just somewhere along the way, I felt like uh, making art and having a creative life was something reserved for childhood. And that by the time I, you know, kind of became this thing called an adult, I was supposed to, you know, put away my paints and go out there and get a job and make money and and um, and, and sort of lose that, um, so the the absurdity that, that, that seems to surround play, right? Because play can sometimes be so pointless. How do you make sense of play? And um, so I felt like I should go and be a lawyer and followed, you know, very dutifully in uh, my father's footsteps and applied to nine prestigious law schools. And, um, you know, but really like hated every minute of it um couldn't quite reconcile my admissions essays you know I struggled to even write them it was like I just kept putting them off and putting them off and putting them off and um one by one I got I got letters back from these law schools and I was rejected again and again and again and they were coming in and I was mixed with feelings of I felt a lot of shame right? Like, you know, here I was unable to do this thing that I was supposed to be able to do. Um, I felt a lot of um, sadness thinking, you know, was I not good enough? I thought I was a good student, you know, a lot of self-doubt. And then deep down was this wonderful feeling of relief, (laughs) just this incredible burden lifted of, Wow, what if this, you know, sort of painful path that I'm sure I could make work. I could work hard enough. I could, you know, I'm sure I could figure it out. What if that was a dead end? Then what would I do with my life and my time? And around this time I was um I was an art major in, in college and um I was basically sleeping at the art studio. Every single article of clothing I owned and still own is covered in some blob of paint um or you know, some random hole from, you know, something I was doing. And someone very close to me at the time said something uh very important. He said, You practically are living at the art studio. Have you ever thought of being an artist? Hmm. And I, I I think it kind of went back to this age-old idea, which was like, you know, there's this term starving artist for a reason. It just seemed very selfish. Like, is that even a job? What would I do? there were just so many questions around practicality but the real practicality was that eventually i was um denied admission from every law school and i quietly applied to two art programs and i got into both art programs wow it was um the universe's great gift to me i think the universe knew that at that moment my my weakness was so intense that i if i had gotten into law school even one even like you know, the, the, the least favorite on the list, like you're always supposed to pick a safe school, right? Like, even if I'd gotten into the safe school, I totally would have gone. And I think the universe just said, like, we're going to help her out. We're going to, we're going to just close that door and we're going to open this other path. And in art school, when I stepped into that world, it was like, I just stepped inside of a kaleidoscope of color and possibility and images and people. And it was like all of these clues about, you know, how, how what tools I was drawing towards me and in my life to not only work my way through my work but also to work my way through my my inner life and so I guess that's that would probably be um my earliest crossroads in my life that really put me on a different track running a different race
1: so um real segue here into um all of that uh, is is these transition periods, but I noticed you you use the word universe right um and i'd love to know your definition of of how you see the universe like i'm sure it's a combination of the truth within yourself you know a mix of that to intuition to um a sense of timelessness and silence almost Mm -hmm. to be able to hear that like for you how would you describe the universe
0: well, you know how some people talk about going into flow when they're working. Yes, yes. Or it's like you know, you look up, you've been working on something, and you look at the clock, and and not only are you late for what you're supposed to be going to next, you're like half an hour late. <laughs> and totally, it's you just slip into another place, and you mm. tap into this timelessness that is beyond your own understanding of yourself, whatever that word might mean to you. Um, I think T.S. Eliot was, um, he said, uh, it's it's music heard so deeply that it is not heard at all, but you are the music while the music lasts. I think that, that mystery, that, you know, whether you call it um, kind of going into this holy place, if it's, you know, maybe it's sort of like Robert Maplethorpe would say uh, when i make art i hold hands with god and we sing um it's that it's that whether it's god or goddess or the universe or the oneness of all things the great mystery you know the great is whatever you call it doesn't matter so much as um knowing what it feels like when you're there and i think that that place Um, I was actually just writing about it this morning, um, is is inviting us to commit to it in some way, inviting us to um, continue to cultivate it in our lives. Because I think that whatever that mystery is, is connected to our dreams. It's reflected in our own internal world. It's reflected in how we experience the, the outer world, which is really just a mirror of our own inner understanding. And it's it's that, that crack between the worlds where, um, you can, you can make from that's, that's, that's that place where your work can spring up and out of you. Mm. Um, I, this is like just flowing. I'm not even sure this is making any sense.
1: No, it's, and you know what, this is great. Cause and, and I wasn't even in my, uh, my good old, uh, written down questions, cool. um, but that's the beauty of, that's the beauty about it. And I love talking, uh, about this and, in particular, with you, because I think it should just be spoken about more, um, especially in in the backgrounds of not only where I've come from, but where you've come from, and the listeners too, um, who have gone through a very similar journey as you in terms of formal training and then working that corporate environment job, um, and this really taps deep into that area of psychological empowerment um emotional empowerment um and and really leading to to the book that you wrote about too and and which is if if people haven't read it they they definitely should um so preempting the next question here i'm gonna give a bit of a rapid contextualization um You've had a few big transition periods, as you mentioned, initially wanting to study law and then eventually ended up actually, um, from what I've read, studying film at the School of Art Institute in Chicago, but then switched courses to visual communications. Um, Yes. And then you got a job as a designer at the renowned human-centered design and innovation company IDEO and staying there for around an impressive four and a half plus years um, and then landing a gig at an iOS uh, as an iOS designer for Uber in 2012, and then design lead for the app Mailbox, um, now owned by Dropbox, and winning a ton of awards in between. Goodness me! Firstly, amazing, congratulations. Thank you. And secondly, I sense a pattern here, uh, seemingly entrepreneurial in its surface, with. What I'm sure demanded a deep drive of curiosity and opportunist sensibility, but was it newness that lit you up, or was it something else?
0: Wow. Um, I um, there there is this sense that when something has run its completeness when, when there's a sense that I get, that's a very intuitive feeling that I, I I can't, I can't point to it or describe it, prove it in any way. But there's this sense that I get when something is, is, um, is sort of uh, coming to its natural end. And um, at IDEO, I was, yeah, I was there for almost five years. It was, it was like, I always used to joke that, you know, the people at IDEO, it, it was, there was so much talent and so many, I mean, it was such a weird group of people. I always used to say like, I found, fa- I finally found my people, mm-hmm. you know, it's artists and, and violinists and, and ethnographers and anthropologists and, and economics experts, just like this incredible buffet of brilliant, brilliant creative minds. Um, I always felt like, uh, it seemed like turning on a giant hose, like a fire hose and just all of this incredible talent just spewing out. And it was delightful, just incredible. What they're doing over there is, is incredible. Um, and I got to a place where I felt like my, my journey, the things that I was learning there, um, I had, I had really learned and I felt like the, the lessons that I wanted to learn next were, um or the question I guess I was asking was I wanted to experience a product from an idea on a post-it note all the way through to uh, it being in the app store. I wanted to see a project from end to end. And when I was at IDEO, I would, you know, work on a lot of kind of like early ideation phases of projects. So sort of pie in the sky possibilities. And then we would lob those uh, projects into an, uh, a client's hand, and then it was their job to take it to the end. But I really wanted to be a part of the entire journey, and, and I didn't know that at that time I was going to get that at IDEO. So I left and went to um, work with you know, startups in Silicon Valley and really got that experience. And after I experienced that, I, strangely enough, started having this recurring dream And that was an entirely new experience because, um, mailbox had just launched. It was really, um, it was going really well. It was incredibly successful. And I felt called to explore this dream, which is a totally, I mean, you say that out loud in a room and everyone looks at you like (laughs) you've lost your mind. Um, but that was, it just felt right. It's like, um, there was just a natural sort of pushing off point, but it's always scary, right? Anytime you, 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 feel called to end one chapter and begin another, you you don't know what's, what's out there. And I think a lot of people throughout time, you know, who, who go on these sort of journeys are really pushing off from shore. I mean, anytime you've said goodbye to sort of the known path and the safe path in order to figure out you know what's next for you but it's uncharted it's it's totally unknown that's when you know you're really on your own journey that's hmm. when you know you're really walking to your own intuitive drumbeat uh, but it is scary you know you could get swallowed up out there hmm. so um i guess it's a mix of sort of um of anxiety and also faith and i think that's why people you know go on vision quests or um go on walkabouts or you know step off into camping for days just to reconnect to that 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 voice that spiritual realm whatever it might be um because there's so much intelligence there but we i don't hear it if i'm too busy or too wrapped up in things so um i i guess each of those moments of transition were I, I knew that it was time to go to the next the next level in the video game so to speak um like it was just it was choiceless. I don't know that I had to really think about it. It just was sort of obvious, like okay you know i'm I'm letting go of this thing. It's time, and I'm inviting in this other thing and i'm I'm more than ready. Um, I think there's Anais, Anais nin she said that um and that the time comes when the risk it takes to blossom um is greater than or, or is less than the risk it it takes to stay tightly inside the bud mm. Uh, yeah. Where your, you know, your your desire to move forward is, is stronger than all of the anxieties that hold you back. And you just, you just go.
1: Love it. For those that haven't heard your wonderful white room dream story, can you give us a short rundown on it?
0: Sure. I, I started having a, a recurring dream about a white room where I would walk inside of this Incredible light-filled space that had concrete floors, warehouse windows, and these very, very high ceilings. And in the dream, I would sit down on the floor, and I would be filled with the most unbelievable sense of peace. And I would just sit there on the floor, and that was it.
1: Mm. And uh, the the recurringness of it was it like over a period of weeks months years
0: it was over a period of about a year and i had it again and again and i i told a friend one day about this dream and she asked the question that really turned everything on its head she said have you ever thought about looking for this dream in real life hmm. which um sounded totally silly and you know my inner critic immediately piped up like that's the stupidest thing we've ever heard. (laughs) And I just revolted at the idea of, you know, that I would have a dream and then, you know, go on some silly journey to find it in real life. And a couple of days go by. And after my kind of inner critic calmed down and relaxed, I thought, well, that's actually kind of fun. Why not? You know, why not? You know, but these things, I've, I really struggled with, um, that voice inside of me that would tell me these really intelligent things like deliver this beautiful dream. And then this other part of me that just, um, wouldn't even go there was just, would just shut it down before it was even a possibility. And so eventually I was able to, you know, get online. I felt so stupid. I I went to Craigslist and I, you know, what do you type in the box? Like white room from my dream. But I, I then, you know, sort of inhabited this, this idea of play again, coming back to this idea of play, this sort of like meandering, drifting, you know, dilly dallying where I would just say like, you know, where is this white room today? And I would go and search online and every day on Craigslist, I would just scan through these listings just for fun. And then one day, I mean, totally bananas. I see the white room. I I literally see the room that I had dreamed about.
1: What was what was the tagline for the ad?
0: Well, I mean it very well must have been like your white room exists <laughs> and it there's an open house tomorrow in San Francisco and you oh have my to go. Oh
1: gosh, yeah. That's amazing.
0: So I went to the open house, I walked in, I gave the woman my application. You know, I didn't even need to really look upstairs. I just had the sense that like the space had been calling me, so it was mine. And I, I got the apartment. I moved in two weeks later and then on my very first night there I thought okay well I'm going to do what I did in the dream and I'm going to sit down on the floor. So I sat down on the floor and I looked around and I you know waited for that awesome piece to arrive but in its place I just had you know my my mind exploded in panicky anxious thoughts about you know what am I doing what's this all about why am I here how am I going to you know make sense of this you know warehouse space And, um, so I decided to ask the room, why am I here? And as clear as day, the room said back, it's time to paint. And I had painted all the time as a little girl, I'd painted, you know, all through high school, college, grad school, but somewhere along the way with all of the work I was doing, I just, I stopped making art from that place. And I, um, I don't, it wasn't like a malicious thing. It was just, I just got busy and I just started doing other stuff. And so at this, you know, kind of uh this voice, I I the next day I went to the art supply store, I got all my tools, and I came back and I started painting, and this energy just cracked open from inside of me. It was just like a river that had been dammed began to just flow. Wow. And when I wasn't, you know, at mailbox. Designing, I was at home painting until all hours and it was, it was bliss. It was flat out bliss. How
1: long was that um, period where you kind of merged out of mailbox and, and full-time work um, in, in that capacity to painting full-time?
0: I think I I had one foot in my painting and one foot in mailbox for about five months.
1: Wow. Okay. Yep.
0: And I was exhausted, totally exhausted. Um, mailbox launched. It was a wild success. And I remember sitting there at my desk on our launch day thinking like, I did it. We did it. This, <laughs> you know, going from an idea on a post-it note all the way through to some something in the store that anybody can download anywhere on their phones, anywhere in the world. Um, it was, it was it felt miraculous, you know, and I also in the back of my head began to wonder what does doing any of this work have to do with my dream of a white room. Mm. And I think that was when I, I felt a very, very acutely this, this crossroads in my life. You know, I just thought the only thing I can't get more of is my time. And I'm perpetually getting older as we all are, and what do I really want to be to be doing with my life and with my time? and i I knew that I had a little bit of savings um, you know financially, and I thought, well, what if I quit mailbox and just played, made you know, sort of drew drew like a sandbox um around this time. And said, I'm going to give myself X amount of time to just play and spend some of my savings. And then I'm going to circle a date on the calendar. And when that date comes, I will then, you know, buckle back down and go get the job and line everything up and, you know, get back in the nine to five. And when I realized that I could just buy myself this sandbox, um that it wasn't forever. I wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything permanent. It was just a temporary gift I was giving to myself and to the possibility of this dream. I, I decided to quit. And so I quit. And, um, I think the same day I quit mailbox was like in time magazine or on CNN or something. So my parents were really confused and, you know, people were very confused about why I was leaving, but it was just, it was obvious, like it was time to go. And, um, So then I just dove into, to making art full time. And, um, I happened to get a show about three months into that time. Um, and then paintings started selling at that show and other things started selling. And so the date on the calendar kept getting moved out, you know, kept going like an an extra week, an extra two weeks, another month. And it just kept moving like that. And the sandbox began shifting and regrowing and, um, and And it began well, and we can probably talk more about how to incorporate money with with passion, but um it began a really interesting new way of thinking about work and money and how how those work together,
1: yeah, I love that and you I'm glad that you you kind of contextualized the five month period the three month uh, part of that you were just painting like mad, and then you eventually got a show, and that was selling yeah, very important because I think um it certainly wasn't an overnight thing um, and the logistics around that and the finances I think is is really a big topic that people totally. um, have and I'm constantly getting during Q&A after my events and it's the um, turning your passion into a business thing. Um, but before we get into that area, I wanted to ask um, if you had any advice for Listeners who want to interpret their own dreams.
0: Hmm. Well,
1: because I I've got some wacky dreams, by the way. I got some like um one for me. I'll just insert here is like yeah this dream that I had that I remember so clearly, and it was years back now. But it was me um in a Japanese samurai camp, and then. I escape that and then I end up in a cave with about eight or nine lions and I'm intact. Nothing is, um, is uh, painful in that sense um, where I get mauled by them, but it was more along the lines of feeling this tension and slight anxiety, but a weird mix of calm. I don't know. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> That's lovely. Well, can we can we play with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> well, you're you're brave. Thank you for sharing. I've I so what I would do if if um if this were my dream, I would I would recount it just the way you did. And I would even um if I could move sort of move the camera around in the dream a little bit like um the the elements around samurai what were the distinguishable characteristics that i knew it was you know this samurai camp or um what were the qualities of the cave what was the light like or how did i feel like you so beautifully articulated that it was both like anxious and calm at the same time and um so trying to get like the details like even the texture of the walls of the cave or the the, the lions, the, the, even the number, right? Eight or nine of them, that's great. And if it were my dream, what I would do is, um, even as you were talking, I just wrote down these, these words, Japanese samurai, summer camp, escape, cave, the numbers eight or nine, and lions. And you can, if, if it were my dream, what I would do is I would say, okay, um, what do I associate with each of those things? And I would just jot a couple of notes down. And then I would maybe step away from it for a little while, and then I would come back and um, and relook at the dream as um, as poetry, not as fact, uh, because mm-hmm. dreams are are like poems, and they are I would say they are the the voice of the soul, and um, dreams reflect things that are going on in our own internal world, and so it's all of you there's one school of belief, which I subscribe to, which would say that, um, in my dream, every, everything in my dream is actually a shifting part of my own life. So the, the lion, if I had had this dream, the lions would be me, the cave would be me, uh, the Japanese samurai, if there was a person there, that would be me, that all of these things are representations of myself. So I would look into each one and say, all right, well, what are they each saying? And then what does, what does that mean for me right now?
1: That's yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And I totally get, um, get that same perspective as well. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because <laughs> with the, uh, the escaping of that camp, I actually was met with these lions, but I was now after, as you were just talking through, um reflecting a bit more, I was, I was still less scared being with the lions than in the samurai camp that I escaped. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. (laughs) So, um, yeah, (laughs)
0: this, this is where things start to get really fun because you can start to say, I mean, like if you encounter a lion now, like this week, next week, maybe not necessarily literally, although that would be terrific. Um, but you encounter a lion in a magazine or in a piece of writing that you're, a reading that you're writing, wait, reading that you're, somebody else's writing that you're reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if you, you know, if, if you hear something on the radio, like you, it begins to then like alert your, your senses of, of, you know, what's, what's going on there. What's that all about? Um, this is what um I believe it's the in, intuit tribes um talk about as animal medicine. You know, that animals tell us stories and um bring us back to um connecting to the earliest storytellers. And I think that the dreams are that same way. They connect it now, there's different types of dreams. You can have sort of kind of everyday dreams, I would say, which are like, you know you know, being late or, or something, um, that just has to do with the daily comings and goings of your life. Um, those are just more personal dreams, but every now and then we have a big dream and it sounds like your big dream. The one that you had is, is, um, you're actually, I I would say that you might be dreaming or, or having a dream that's shared by a lot of dreamers Mm. and these types of dreams can be roadmaps for our life. Um, and I, I I believe that the reason so many people connected to the story about my white room dream is because that also was a big dream, and it tapped into something um, much bigger and um, a, a much larger dream that's that's held and shared among many people.
1: Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, and and bizarrely, my latest book on on how to get a mentor, I actually emailed um my mailing list and I said I want you guys to be in my book and I want you to draw an animal that carries the characteristics or traits um that uh you feel a mentor embodies and
0: oh wow yeah
1: and I got about close to 40% of them were lions and I had them write down in one sentence um why they, why they want or need a mentor and the ones that drew about lions all spoke of obviously courage, bravery, boldness. Um, very interesting.
0: Wow. <laughs> I, I just
1: realized this now, as you were talking the connection, I actually haven't. So even, even more bizarrely, this is really funny that I'm talking about this. I'm sorry to uh, hijack this. Um, but Dude, this is great <laughs> Behind me there's a painting that i drew uh painted on just wooden board of me um as a boy with lions around it and i i did that during the time of my dream weird anyway let's move on shall we
0: <laughs> amazing amazing so many people are going to get so much out of this this is
1: this is too funny okay so um let's chat about the uh area that um We were going to talk about um which actually ties into stefan's uh sagmeister's ted talk uh, that you um, expanded on and you were inspired by titled the power of time off um the power of time off what a name um for a talk um so many of us have a big question mark around this um which at some point in our lives i think if you haven't had it yet but it's the whole job versus career versus calling topic Um, in your exploration, can you unpack these three areas and what you arrived at?
0: You bet. Well, I have to say, I think the, the number one most asked question is what if my, uh, must, what if pursuing my passion doesn't, doesn't pay the bills? That is the number one question, um, that people ask. And, um, there is a lot of, um, you know, it turns out we, we really need these practical answers and it is a foundational statement that we have to sing for our supper. We have to find some way to live on this planet. I, I, I wish that that was not the case. I wish that we did not need to, um, rely on a system of money in order to, um, have a safe, you know, living scenario, but unfortunately that's the way it is right now. Um, so that's, that's just a, a, a non-negotiable that we have to make money. But figuring out how we make money and what its connection is to our art or our craft or our must, our passion, why we're here, what we're here to do, um, that's an entirely different thing. So in his talk, Stefan Sagmeister outlines three different modes of work a job, a career, and a calling, as you just mentioned. A job, he says, is something that we do from nine to five, typically done for pay. A career is a system of over time. And a calling is something that we do for intrinsic motivation, something regardless of pay. And as I looked at these three different modes of work, what really rocked my world is that they're totally different. I had never thought about work in these three different categories. So if you're listening to this, you can get a piece of paper and almost draw like three columns and put job, career, and calling at the top and plot all of your activities, both paid and unpaid across those three columns. And I would say that just having awareness about what you have might be the most important step you can do, right? Because maybe you think that you're pursuing your calling, but it's actually a job or maybe You think that you are pursuing your calling on nights and weekends, but actually your job is so exhausting that you don't even have bandwidth to do that on nights and weekends. Um, But the important thing about what I I feel he was getting at was that you might focus on your calling full time and make a living from it. Or you might have a job Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, while you pursue your calling on nights and weekends. There are so many different options and ways that you can make this work. And there is no one right answer. Just because we do something for money does not make that work dirty. Mm. And just because you um, have a job does not mean that you are not going to find your calling. Um I recently heard Elizabeth Gilbert speak and she talked about how early on in her life she made a pact with her calling, which is to write, and she said, I will never ask you to pay the bills. Hmm. And she made that commitment to her craft. And so she took on, you know, all these odd jobs of bartending and wait being a waitress and all these different things to make money and pay the rent. Now eventually she got to a place where her calling paid the bills. And so now that's her full her full life. Um, but she never put that burden on her craft because we all know what can happen when you need the cash and you've got the blank canvas and you know, what's sold before, and why not just paint that thing again so you can sell it. The minute you do that, you have lost, you, you've lost it all. So if you get to a place where your calling can be unencumbered by financial needs, that's, I would say that's the goal but to get there, there's many options. And in the book, I have this this really funny diagram titled you, your job and money. And it's basically, um, how to optimize your money-making so that you will not forget about that thing that you love Hmm. because that is the worst case scenario. And that loss has nothing to do with finances. That is a loss of, of your own passion of your own life. Um, and that is definitely not worth it. We do not need anyone to forget the thing they love. Um, that's, that's why you're here. And that's, that's what makes you unique of all the other people that you love, what you love, that you feel drawn to the things that you do, that you get tugged by certain things in your own unique way. That's, that's it. That is whatever it is for you. That's it. So we want to optimize money to pay the bills and, um, one of the things that that um i find is really helpful is just to make sure you know how much money you need um and put it on a piece of paper maybe put it on your bathroom mirror or in your sock drawer um you know maybe you say like i need x number of dollars every year in order to live in a safe neighborhood in order to you know if you have kids pay for um things for your children or pay off student debt uh whatever it might be um, this is how much money i need in order to live you know a, a comfortable life. Now you might say that, you know, I, I actually have that already and I don't, I don't need to keep, you know, why am I still working so hard? Why, what do I need all of this money for? I mean, that's a great situation to be in. <laughs> um, but that's also really important because, you know, you could just find that you continue to save and the security continues to grow and feels really nice, but yet you might not be doing that thing you love. Um, T.S. Eliot, he had a um, calling to be a writer, which is why we know of his work, but he was also, um, an incredible financial wizard. He had a incredible career in London, uh, in finance. And I would, I would say that his ability to make money in finance created the space for him to pursue his calling as a writer. And we don't know T.S. Eliot as a, <laughs> a finance guru. We know him as a writer. So I would say, how do you protect your passion? How do you protect your must? How do you, I would also say, maybe have a a savings account or some sort of a way to, to, um, to feed it with, you know, maybe the tools that you need or a workshop that you feel called to take or buying the guitar or, um, going to that location. So you can really write that scene, um, whatever it might be, you, you know, you're, your passion might require a little bit of investment on your part, and it could be financial. Um, I guess I would just say the awareness around which one you have a job, career or a calling is a great starting point um, for figuring out where you want to go next. And I would highly encourage you to keep your job and keep your career um, as long as you can, because the, you know, the the term starving artists exists for a reason, and we don't want anyone to be starving, we don't want anyone to be broke, we don't anyone want anyone to be just sort of frivolously searching for you know this elusive passion while you know they're losing their electricity that's that's you know it's it's very difficult to make work if you can't sleep or you can't eat or you're hungry so finding that balance, I felt like as I started coming across all these other people who had figured it out, I just I, I felt so liberated, like, oh, I could be a plumber and also keep painting, or, you know, I could go and do this job and that would fund my my personal practice at home. Like Rodin, the sculptor, he worked in a coal mine. He worked in a coal mine for ten years while he perfected um his his body of work and he didn't exhibit his first like bust uh publicly until ten years down the line and he he kind of brought it out of his little workshop and and showed it to you know everyone in paris and from that moment on he was rodin but um I, I think this is where we can be a lot more creative about our finances and how we make ends meet
1: yeah and it you've tapped into to a few things that i think is going to really uh, hit home for for the, uh, those listeners and um especially with this whole thing about what you do for work or or that job um doesn't have to be your passion. And that's okay because it's feeding into the art or it's feeding into the love of X, Y, Z, that thing that calls to you. Um, and I'm finding that myself as well, um, transitioning and really taking on jobs to put food on the table, roof over the head. Um, and then looking at as you've just described, looking logistically, because I think that's that's a hugely practical tip. It's seriously just going there and going, okay. As you've described as well beautifully in your book, um, the money that you need versus the nice to have money. Um, mm. And yeah, and I know that it might sound funny when you said that um, it, it'd be a great problem to have, but I think it's more common than people admit. I think that they've got. You know, there are a fair few people out there with with some savings. A, a lot of um, people in my network too who are who have three houses and have, you know, they're at thirty one, thirty two years old and have never left the country. Like they've just never taken a holiday and they just work seven days a week in the office for years. Um, and they. See me and say often from time to time. It's like, um, I wish I could do what you did. Mm. And I'm like, you can, you can travel, you can explore, you know, all those types of things. Oh no, no, but I can't. And I'm like, but well, why? <laughs> so, yeah.
0: There's some there's some folks who are who I know who are you know working like dogs and loving every minute of it. Mm. Um and to those folks I would say cool. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. And um then you meet somebody who um is not quite satisfied. And you meet someone who um you can tell has a hunger. And there's is, there's is a um there is a dissatisfaction and there is a searching and there is um There is a a feeling of of starvation, uh, but not not necessarily in the food sense, um, in the soul sense. And for the person who feels that pain, if any of you feel that pain, I would say um, you're in good company. Mm. That discontent can lead you to extraordinary places. And it's uncomfortable and it's no fun and if you're anything like me you want it to go away as fast as possible um and i would say that you know there's a bit of fear there's a bit of um there's a bit of feeling like um you aren't quite sure but you you're hungry for this thing and um i would say that there's so much intelligence in that and just to acknowledge that that's what's going on is incredibly courageous incredibly courageous actually in the lion king or not the lion king the the wizard of oz the lion is looking for what courage
1: yes i believe so
0: interesting i wonder if there's (laughs) a connection between lions and courage right lions and mentors and courage and the lion wants a heart right
1: absolutely he does yes
0: so the 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 lion is looking for that heart-led life the lion is looking for that soul connection. And there's, you know, there's a lot of fun things out there. There's a lot of really amazing jobs. There's a lot of really um, fascinating opportunities or trips or people or ways that your journey could go uh, that you can very easily take. And I would say um, to be careful of, of the immediate option that is right in front of you that seems, um, that seems so easy. And, uh, and why not? You know, this, this is good enough. And I would say there's a real difference between that choice and the one that is really like comes from the deep level, you know, the lion level of, of, of soul craving. There's, there's a, a hunger that can only be satiated by that, that soul craving that comes, I would say in my world, it comes from, um, from dreams and from intuitions and from, in just those moments when things you just know, hmm. it's just obvious, and it, you know the white room or your dream or these these moments where it just that's the way things are going. They just are. It's choiceless.
1: Yeah, I've just done a search as well. I think the the, the lion was a coward, looking to be brave. <sighs> yes, that's so cool. Um.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. And we, I'll speak for myself. I the, 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 the path of choosing must in my own life of choosing my creativity and choosing to go there is, is a, is a, a dance with my own cowardliness, Mm -hmm. right? That's such a beautiful thing, right? Because it's, it's, I think, um, who was it? The guy who wrote the alchemist, Paulo Coelho, he said, we who fight for our dreams suffer far more when it doesn't work out. Because we can never fall back on that age-old excuse, oh, well, I didn't really want it anyway. Mm. We do want it. And we have risked everything to make it happen. Yeah. And, I, and of course, who wouldn't be cowardly if you're, you, you have an opportunity to follow some deep, deep knowing that leads you towards everything that you really want. But oh my God, what if it doesn't work? Mm. What if it doesn't work out? What if, I don't, what if, it, what if it just doesn't manifest? And, you know, here I am, here's this very safe, immediate option that seems nice enough. Why wouldn't I just take that? Why wouldn't I just be okay with these, you know, small morsels of food? Who am I to dream that dream? Who am I to go for that? Yeah. And that's, that's us saying, I, okay, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to look at this cowardliness and I'm going to say through this, you know, awareness is, is how you get to that dream to say, all right, cool cool. I'm being cowardly right now. I'm totally staying in my place. So let's, let's keep going anyway. Let's, let's believe that that's possible, which is really hard, really hard to do.
1: Yeah. And uh, there's a word that stuck out from, uh, what you've just said, which was acknowledge. And I think, um, because the, the next question I was going to ask you around was, have you got any practical advice for, for those feeling unfulfilled in their careers? But I think that's a loaded question, you know, it's kind of like, well.
0: Oh, I do. I
1: do. Go, go for it.
0: <laughs> it's super practical. I would say, do you have 10 minutes?
1: Um, I'm glad you brought this one up. I'm glad you brought this one up
0: we are so busy. We're so, so busy. And we live at this strange moment in time where we just keep getting busier and we're addicted to being busy. And I think all this busyness keeps us from this inner voice, these whispers, this, you know, whatever, helping hands that come from nowhere. Um, If you have 10 minutes, carve it off and guard it with your life. Say that today you're going to, and put it on your calendar, you schedule it literally. It is a date with yourself for 10 minutes. If you can start with those 10 minutes and do it every day or do it as many times as you can, if you can begin to cultivate 10 minutes a day, that will begin to grow and take root in your life. But I've never seen anybody be able to create anything of any substantive value without having that time to just sort of drop into themselves or hear their own voice, connect to their own intuition. It's really, really hard to get to that that place from which we can make things um, well, for me anyway, when I'm like just scrolling through Instagram. <laughs>
1: totally. And you you want to know something uh, really, uh, I guess, serendipitous in a way. Um, in 2015, I actually wrote an article for AIGA titled How 10 Minutes a Day Can Change Your Entire Design Practice. But then I... Wow. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, Certainly... I, I guess uh, something that has been passed on to me as well, certainly not an original idea by any means. But um, what I went on to say was that it is actually the reason where I pinpoint um, the progress of uh, and completion of my last two books. And I love that you also brought that up. That's so, so bizarre.
0: Kindred spirits. Totally. <laughs> it's like. Um... Joseph Campbell, he said, uh, you must have a room a certain hour or so a day where you don't know what's in the newspapers that morning. You don't know what your friends are thinking. You don't know what you owe anybody and you don't know what anybody owes you. And that is the place where you can experience and bring forth what you are and what you might be.
1: Hmm. This is uh, this is good stuff, Elle. <laughs> Um, okay. So a couple of questions before we we get to the last few ones here. Um, I want to squeeze in a a, a little, um, not so little, but uh, a, a project that you've started for uh, what was a couple of years back now that um, I'm sure is ongoing. And it's a venture called um, the Bulan Project. Um, for those unfamiliar, what is it and how did it come about?
0: The Bulan project, so Bulan means moon in Bahasa, which is um, the language in in Bali, in Indonesia. And um, it is a collaboration between master batik artists there um, and myself and other artists. Uh, I I was over there and and one of my friends started taking my paintings and turning them into textiles. And I became totally... um, there's a there's a landscaper outside <laughs> with one of those giant blowers. Can you we hear it? it?
1: A little bit. Yes.
0: He's he's uh, singing for us. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Um so he not he, I'm thinking of the landscaper. <laughs> um the <laughs> the project was really about um creating limited edition uh pieces of uh sort of like uh everyday wearable art usable art, functional art. And um, every these things can be used, everything from like shawls to wraps to hanging on the wall. Um, and a lot of them have to do with um, themes around the moon. I'm really inspired by the moon. Um, and I think we have five or, or six editions so far uh, with more forthcoming. Amazing. Um, so if if you want to look at them, it's on bulanproject.com.
1: Yes, everyone should definitely check that out. All right. So uh, a question I ask most of my guests, Elle, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to Junior L Luna, uh, perhaps the L finishing high school, what would you tell her?
0: You know, I was actually recently in Chicago on a bicycle and I pulled up at a stoplight in front and in front of me was the car that I used to have when I lived there, the same color, the same year, the same model, everything. And for a minute I sat there and looked at that car and I thought, I wonder if that's me in there. And I'm like in a wormhole, you know, I'm, I'm, going back in time. And I thought, well, of course, it's definitely me in there. And I'm definitely in a wormhole. (laughs) And I thought, what if I could just pedal up next to her and knock on the window (laughs) and just knowing what I know now and knowing what's about to come for her, what would I say? Mm. And the feeling that I got when I thought about that was, I think I would just extend her warmth and I would extend her love. There's so much about That girl who just had no idea what was ahead. (laughs) And it got between where I was on the bike and where she was in that seat. um, So much happened, and it's hard. It's hard. And I think I would probably tell her that it's hard, but it has to be that way. And I would tell her that everything that you really want and that you're really looking for is through, not around, but through those hard doors. And I would say it's going to be okay. Mm.
1: It's really uh really beautiful advice. Um so L, what's next for you and everything you're involved in this year and beyond?
0: Wow, what's next? So I'm collaborating with a friend right now. Um our project is just finished. We are just about to launch her Kickstarter campaign for her, to publish her book. Um, she wrote a memoir titled Aphrodite Emerges. And um, it's an incredible story about her journey, you know, really into the must of her own life, which is feminine power. And I got to collaborate with her on the book, uh, doing all of the design and contributing 36 pieces of original work, of original art to her story, which was such a treat for me. Um, So that's going to be shipping, assuming that our Kickstarter is is funded. That will ship, um, you know, probably early April. So press checks and all that stuff is ahead. Um, in the meantime, I'm also continuing to paint and draw and make work, and um, I am working on um, a few other book projects. And I would say, largely, the book projects right now are um all oriented around where my must is leading me which is um i think a, a direct reflection of what we see happening right now in the political climate here in the united states um and i would say the must being that we need as women to cultivate our own strength our own voice our own power and we need to um also Uh, Be standing up and standing out, and having our our voice heard amidst this diabolical insanity um, that's our current political system. And I I truly think the the future um, hinges on it. And so for me, my must is how do I, as a woman, continue to cultivate my own uh, feminine power, my own strength, my own intuitive um, voice, and use that to help. get us out of this giant mess that we're in.
1: Mm, That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're uh, keeping productive and busy for the right reasons. Um, Are you going to visit Sydney, Australia anytime soon? I know that you've probably met a couple of them on your trips to Bali.
0: If that's an invitation, (laughs) then absolutely. Of course.
1: You know how many fans you have here, Elle? A lot. Let me just tell you that. So if you do... (laughs) I hope Sydney makes the cut. Um because the you the bet. whole country is, is really beautiful. Um Elle, how can listeners get in touch with you online?
0: On Instagram. My handle is at El Luna. Just my first and last name.
1: By the way, is that is that your real name?
0: Eleanor Luna.
1: Ooh, okay. It's a it's a pretty awesome surname as well isn't it like i i've not like that's you just can't make that up um l thank you so much for your time in being so open and transparent with your stories your soul your amazing brain um and being uh it's been such a pleasure truly having you on the show thank you so much
0: thank you so much for having me what a treat there
1: we have it giants i hope you found this interview as exhilarating as i did Feel free to share this episode with a friend or a loved one if you feel it'd benefit them. GiantThinkers.com slash luna will take them right to it. That's E-L-L-E-L-U-N-A. And if you're feeling extra generous, I would very much appreciate a short iTunes review. It'd help get the show in front of more people who really need advice on their journey. Head to GiantThinkers.com slash podcast review. Now a little teaser for the next episode, she is the founder of No Shoe, Australia's first food brand to be truly sugar free. What's interesting is that she started her degree in food science, then transitioned to design, she completed that, worked in the industry for a number of years, then moved to France for a while, then returned back to Australia to create the business. Her family history of diabetes and her struggle to find delicious sugar free foods became the catalyst to create her hero product a healthy donut stay tuned for that one now i'll leave you with a quote that i absolutely loved from Elle, who said be careful of the immediate option that's in front of you that seems so easy there's a difference between that and the lion level of soul craving